0: Well it is good to be here with you today, and uh, as Steve mentioned, my name is Paul, and um, I teach most weekends over at our Noblesville campus and if you're new to Genesis, you may or may not know that uh, we're one church in two locations, and uh, I just love uh, everything that's happening here through our Carmel campus and I uh, love coming over here as often as I can and, and like I said, I preach most weekends in Noblesville, and that's because uh, I don't have to preach here because Steve does such a fantastic uh, job and uh, so thankful for his leadership and, and again, Again for all of you, and uh, for God's great work in your life and uh, through your life. And usually, uh, when I get a chance to come over, I try and take one or two of my, or all three of my my children uh, with me, see if I can talk somebody into coming, and uh, my six-year-old daughter, well, she turns six tomorrow, uh, came with me today, and I'd like to think, when any of my kids come with me, that it's just that they're looking forward to that quality time with Dad, but... I think they realize that we always drive past Dunkin' Donuts, and there's a really good chance that we'll stop, which we did this morning and uh, stopped and and had a donut together, uh, just my daughter and I. But uh, we are continuing in this series called Life Apps, and we've been talking about the importance of God's Word, and especially for us as followers of Jesus, uh, what it means to take the Scripture, to take God's Word, and not just read it, so that we could say that we know it or that we're memorizing it, but it's about doing it. I mean, the point of Scripture is application, that application is everything uh, and that it leads to freedom. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about things like forgiveness, we've talked about confession, we've talked about uh, generosity and God's will for us in each of these. And today, I want to talk to you about trust and what it means uh, for you. Uh, What it means for your family, uh, what it means for us, for our church, to say that we trust in the Lord, uh, that our faith is in Him uh, for all things, and that we are trusting in Him uh, even in spite of our fears. A few weeks ago, uh, there was an article uh, in the Indy Star that you may have seen, and uh, it was an article about these uh, stick figure decals that you sometimes see uh, on the back of vehicles. You know what I'm talking about uh, when I say these? We've got an example of kind of a traditional uh, stick figure decal here, and you know that with every decal and in different families, it, it says a little bit about your family and how many members are in it and what some of your interests are, again, just just something about you uh, as a family. Well, they can get pretty clever, too, and I ran across a few that I thought you might appreciate. Like, there's this one right here of mom and dad and a whole bunch of kids, which just basically communicates... Mom and dad are happy, all right? They're doing really well uh, together in their marriage. But this one's kind of interesting, too. My neighbor would put one on like this. It just says that we're fine and uh, we enjoy the uh, extra money. Uh, this next one, I think, well, this guy just wants you to know that he's available, all right? And uh, he is willing. He would love to, uh, to get your number. Uh, how about this next one here? Just look at it. So we've got a guy who likes karate, and maybe about 25 cats, and I'm guessing he's not married. Well, you can read it, whatever you want, uh, into it, Uh, and then this may kind of describe how you feel about these stick figure decals. You're just not a fan of them. But uh, again, there was this article in the Indy Star, and apparently, according to this article, some police and safety organizations are warning people to avoid these stickers. Uh, to not put them on your car, saying that they have the potential to provide too much information to criminals who might consider committing a crime against you. Now, I read this, and my first reaction was, really? Like, it's that bad? Like, I mean, we we are at this point that, that I mean, what have we become? I mean, is it really that bad? I mean, who can you trust anymore, you know, if you've got to worry about what you're putting on the back of your vehicle. Now, forgive me if I have caused any of you any unexpected, unnecessary anxiety today because you've got one of these on the back of your car right now. And if so, we've got a great volunteer team in the parking lot that we'll would be happy to help you remove that decal uh, before you leave today uh, if you're nervous about it. But no, seriously, who can you trust? Like, I mean, who can you trust? I mean, it's becoming more and more difficult these days to trust people. I mean, isn't it? And we live in this fear-filled world, and, and, and that fear just makes it difficult to trust. And why is it so difficult to trust? Well, think about it. I mean, think about how many times in your life you've been hurt. Uh, somebody that you trusted or thought you could trust, they lied to you or they or they misled you, or we've we've all been burned. And and because of it, our natural uh, defense mechanism in these situations is to simply not trust anyone. And if we're being completely honest, and I think this is true, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is that we're afraid, we're afraid to trust people. And when we're afraid to trust people, it makes it even more difficult to trust in God. And the truth is, the fact is that some of you are sitting here right now and you're facing some big challenges you're facing some overwhelming obstacles in your life, and you're afraid, and and you're afraid of what might happen, or uh, you're terrified of the unknown, and because you're afraid, you're not sure if you can trust God. And the truth is this: you can, you can trust God. You can always trust God, and not just in some things, but in all things, because the fact is that that He loves you, and He loves me, and. He loves us, and He wants the best for us, and and He begs us to trust Him. And not just with the eternal issues of our life either, as important as those are, but in everything. And, well, I think we also need to be reminded that trusting Him doesn't mean we get what we want. But what it does mean is that He knows that if we will trust Him, He is capable of doing even greater things in and through our lives. Well, what I want to do with you today is I want to look at a story, an old story uh, that comes out of the Old Testament, and I want to focus in uh, for a moment on one young man, a guy by the name of Caleb. Now, Caleb trusted God, and in spite of all of the fears and in spite of all of the obstacles that were before him, Caleb knew and realized that he could trust God. And well, what I am hoping and what I've been praying for you is that as you face obstacles, and maybe some of those that are standing before you even this morning, and some of those difficulties in your life right now, that you will discover that you can trust God, that we can trust God in spite of all of our fears, any of our fears, too. Well, our story today comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, Early on in the Old Testament, the uh, book of Numbers, uh, if you want to turn there with us, uh, Numbers chapter 13. And if you use something like an app, like YouVersion on your phone, feel free to go there with us. We'll have the scripture uh, for you on the screen. And we'll get to the story uh, that we're gonna look at here in Numbers in just a moment. But before we do that, I wanna bring you up to speed on some of the preceding events that lead up to this point uh, in Numbers 13. Now, just as a bit of review, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And history records that they spent 400 years living as slaves in Egypt until one day God appeared to a man by the name of Moses. Now, you might be new to all of this, new to church, but there's a really good chance that you've heard of this story or you've seen reference to this story before. But there's this day when God appeared to a man by the name of Moses through a burning bush, and he told Moses to go to the Egyptian leader, to go to the Pharaoh, and to tell the Pharaoh to let the people go, to demand that he set them free. And then God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, this promise. Here's what he said to Moses. He says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And we'll get to uh, those folks in just a second, but God just basically says, hey, I'm going to rescue my people, I'm going to bring them out of slavery, and I'm going to lead them into this new land, and this land will be flowing, as God describes it, with milk and honey. That was just God's way of saying that it's going to be spacious, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be fertile, and you will benefit from it, and you will enjoy it. It was God's way of basically saying to them, Moses, I have really good plans for my people, and I've got a place for them, and I'm going to do something great in in them and in your lives. And sure enough, that's what God does. Uh, he, he uses Moses, but he rescues these people out of Egypt. And the, the book of Exodus is the story of their exiting uh, Egypt. And once they get out of Egypt, God leads them through the Red Sea into a place called Mount Sinai. And it's there at Mount Sinai that God gives the Ten Commandments to the people and ultimately says to them, you're going to be my people and I am going to be your God. And, and God promises to take good care of them, uh, to shepherd them. And to provide for them and to bless them and to dwell with them. And God promised them a new home for them. It's why we call this place that they were going, the promised land from God. Well, once they left Sinai, the journey continues through the wilderness until the people uh, finally reached the border of their new home. Now, just before the Israelites step foot into the promised land, they decide to send 12 men. Uh, Twelve scouts out in advance to investigate the new land to find out what's there and what's it like. And and this is what happens. The twelve spies go into the land, and for 40 days they wander around the land, and they survey the land. And when they finish, these twelve return and report to Moses and to the whole Israelite community what they found. And that's where we pick it up in Numbers 13, verse 27. It says, They gave Moses, who was their leader at the time, this account. They said, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here's its fruit. And so they're like, hey, it's great. Like, it's, just, it's greater than what has been promised and what's been described to us, and it flows with milk and honey, and here's the evidence of the fruit. And they brought some with them, and they showed it, and it was just as God had promised. But, and don't miss the but, and in this case, it's a really, really big but, all right? But in verse 28, it says they reported, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, and we even saw descendants of Anak there. And so like, they're like, the people living there? Like, the enemy is strong and powerful. The cities are way too fortified and very well protected too. And while the twelve affirm that the land is good, just as God had described, an overwhelming majority of them you know, can't help but focus on the obstacles that are standing before them. I mean, they're so overwhelmed by the obstacles and the challenges in front of them, and their hearts are full of fear. And even though God had promised to give them this land, they're like, thanks, but no thanks. It's, it's not going to happen. And you know what? We're like this too sometimes, aren't we? Like, I'm guilty of this sort of reaction. and I mean, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, we experience the highs and lows of life. Look at it like this. I mean, maybe you come in here on a Sunday and you hear a message or you sing a song or you have an encouraging conversation with someone. You walk out of here and you are fired up and ready to go and you're all about believing. And then Monday hits and everything just comes flying in your face. Or some unexpected news, or an unfortunate circumstance, or situation, and all of a sudden, like, everything that you were pumped up and filled, full of faith, ready to do, I mean, well, Sunday's just a distant memory to us, and, and now we're in a place where, with these new challenges, it's like, I, I don't see a way through. I don't see how we get through this one. Well, that, that's where pe- the people of Israel are. I mean, they're terrified, and of the 12 spies who went in the land, 10 were ready to call it quits, but two have a different view of things. Now, one of those guys was a guy by the name of Joshua. We're not going to really talk about him today, but a great guy uh, and worth talking about. The other is Caleb. And Caleb saw and experienced everything the scout team did, but Caleb had a different perspective. And again, while the overwhelming majority was giving into fear, Caleb's response is pretty encouraging. Look at verse 30. It says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of that land, for we can certainly do it. Okay, it was like, why why do we got to be like this? Like, there's no reason to be afraid. I mean, we need to go now. I mean, we need to act on this. We can do this. And he's not acting foolishly. I mean, this isn't some egotistical guy that refuses to ask for directions, all right? That's not the problem here. But this is faith. Like, this is Caleb's trust in God. And Caleb believed that God would give them the land because he promised. God had promised. But unfortunately... And as the story unfolds, I mean, his lone voice of hope and trust in God was no match for the other guys. And it didn't take long before these faithless ones were able to convince everyone else uh, of the obstacles that they were too great. And so the Israelites, they don't advance. I mean, if you read this story for yourself, they're not going to go in right now and take possession of the land, but instead... Uh, And because of their punishment, they were forced to turn back and they end up wandering around in the wilderness for the next 40 years and they wander around until an entire generation of people has died off for 40 years until 40 years later, under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, these people move forward and they take possession of the land just as God had promised. See, God had good plans for the Israelites. Really good plans. And he just kept asking them to trust. He kept saying, I need you to trust me. I need you to keep your faith and focused on me. And when they faced a great obstacle, I mean for so many they were just filled with fear and they failed to trust God. And I just think that I mean the same sort of things happen in our lives every day. I mean I'm guilty of this too. I mean when I mean when you think about your life, when you think about some of those current obstacles before you and those challenges, I mean you know, maybe for some of you you're here today and you're newly married and maybe you've been married just for a matter of months, a year or two years, and you know, you're facing some real challenges in in your marriage and a little discouraged because it's it's not what you thought that it would be. Maybe you're living alone right now and and the ongoing reminder and the ongoing challenge for you is that you're alone and that there isn't anyone else and and sometimes you wonder if you'll live alone for the rest of your life. I mean, for some of you, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a college student, and you're already he- looking ahead to the fall, And, and but you're, you're up against an unexpected increase in your tuition, and you're, you're not sure where the money's going to come from this next year. Others are here today, and it's a medical situation. You're just kind of working through those details, and you're not sure what lies on the other end. Or maybe, maybe it's just the questions, and The uncertainty of the future. I mean, you want to make a bold move for God, but but can you trust Him? Or you know, as you think about your future, I mean, you've got your heart set on retiring. You know, maybe in the next couple of years or something, but you're not sure if there's going to be enough there. You know, whatever it is, we we don't know if we can trust. Can I trust God with this? You know, maybe I I've trusted Him with that, but what about this one? What if this one finally trumps? his abilities in my life. And we want to trust, but we find ourselves crumbling under the unknown. You know, we can, we can learn some lessons from this story and from Caleb and what it means to trust God in spite of our fears like, like this. The first one is this. That you, you can trust that God is for you. You can trust him in that, that he is for you, that no matter what you've got going on in your life right now, that he is for you, and that means that he's not against you. You know, it didn't take long uh, before fear overcame the Israelites. I mean, they forgot all about the journey they had been on and all of the events that led up to this point. I mean, they, if you continue reading in Numbers 14, you can see for yourself how the naysayers started making accusations that God was to blame, that he was responsible for this, that he was punishing them and willing to have them die or to be killed. And they even go as far as saying, you know what, why stay here? Let's go back through the wilderness all the way back to Egypt. We'd be better off living as slaves in Egypt do you see how quickly they forgot how quickly we forget I mean these are the same Israelites that watched God you know witness the ten plagues in Egypt these are the same Israelites that marched through the Red Sea the same Israelites that you know where God guided them by a cloud by day and by fire at night he fed them and now they face this new challenge and all of a sudden they start believing that God has it out for them I don't know about you, but I can be like that. I can trust the Lord really well when things are going really well. You know, when things are going great. But the moment I face some pressure or an obstacle that's out of my control, it's in times like these where it's difficult to trust God. And here's the thing, you know, God never promised a pain-free life. He never promised a life free of challenges and, and disappointments. I mean, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, you're going to face it. But what was his word of hope for us? His word of hope was, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that just kind of reminds me that this life that we live, however many days the Lord has for you, has for me, that the race is a difficult one. It's a difficult race. It's a difficult run. But the finish line is glorious. It's spectacular. And that just kind of reminds me that, that Scripture teaches us that no matter what you face in life, God's Word reminds us that in the end, He's going to make sense of it all. It'll all come together. And another place in Scripture, it just even talks about that even through our, our difficult times, that God is going to use all of that and somehow eternity with Him will be greater because of it. That's a wonderful truth. It's tough to trust. It's tough to trust when you're living in it. But what a great promise for us all. Um, Larry Crabb is a professor and a counselor, and in his book, uh, The Pressure's Off, he uses a story from his childhood to illustrate uh, the importance of delighting in God and, and trusting in God, especially uh, through adversity. Let me, let me read a portion of this story uh, for you. He writes this. He says, one Saturday afternoon, I decided I was a big boy uh, and could use the bathroom without anyone's help. Uh, He was a three-year-old at the time. So he says, I climbed the stairs, uh, closed and locked the door behind me, and for the next few minutes felt very self-sufficient. Then it was time to leave. I couldn't unlock the door. I tried with every ounce of my 3 year old strength, but I couldn't do it. I panicked. I felt again like a very little boy as the thought went through my head, I might spend the rest of my life uh, in this bathroom. If you've got kids, you can kind of imagine what a moment of panic would be like. Well, he says, my parents and likely the neighbors heard my desperate scream. Uh, are you okay? My mother shouted through the door uh, that she couldn't open. Did you fall? Have you hit your head? He says, I can't lock, unlock the door. He yelled, get me out of here. Well, he writes, I wasn't aware of it right then, but Dad raced down the stairs, ran to the garage, found the ladder, hauled it off the hooks, leaned it against the side of the house just beneath the bathroom window, and with adult strength, he pried it open, climbed into my prison, walked past me, and with that same strength, unlocked the door and opened it. Thanks, Dad, I said, and I ran out to play. He writes this. He says, that's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I do all I can for myself. When I can't free myself, I should pray. Then God shows up. He hears my cry. Get me out of here. I want to play. And he unlocks the door to the blessings I desire. He goes on. And sometimes he does. But now, no longer three years old and approaching 60, I am realizing the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, are any of us content with God? I mean, do we even like him when he doesn't open the door we most want open, when a marriage doesn't heal, when rebellious kids still rebel, when friends betray, when financial reverses threaten our comfortable way of life, when the prospect of terrorism looms, when when health worsens despite much prayer, when loneliness intensifies and depression deepens, when ministries die. He says, God has climbed through the small window into my dark room, but he doesn't walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge. Instead, he sits down on the bathroom floor and says, come sit with me. He seems to think that climbing into the room to be with me matters more than letting me out to play. And I don't always see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, unlock the door. And then he finishes with this. He says, dear friend, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy, to escape our dark room and run to the playground of blessings, or we can accept his invitation to sit with him for now, perhaps in darkness, and to seize the opportunity to know him better, to trust him, and to represent him well in this difficult world. What's God want from us? He wants me to trust. He wants you to keep trusting, to keep your faith in him. And how does he demonstrate that for us? He promises that he's with us. Uh, look, at, look at Caleb's reply to the people as they're still arguing over what to do. In Numbers 14, verse nine, he says, only do not rebel against the Lord. That's, what, that's what, what he sees happening. He says, and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. He says, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with us. And what was true for them is the same truth for you and me. That when we face the unexpected obstacles in our life and we start questioning or wondering, is he for us? Is he against us? When we question his love or worse than that, we fear that maybe he's punishing us for some reason. Well, the truth is, like what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 31, the second half of that verse, he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And how does he demonstrate that he is for us? Well, he doesn't promise us that things will always go as we want. But he does promise that he'll be with us and that he is not only with us, but he's for us so that no matter what you're up against in your life right now, you can trust that God is for you too. Second thing is this, you can trust that God is for you, but you can also trust his strength. You can trust the strength of God. Now, the Israelites were so focused on their weaknesses uh, instead of the power and the strength of God. I mean, they feared their weaknesses and lacked the strength. Uh, to overcome the obstacles. Uh, my family, uh, we were in Florida just a few weeks back, and uh, for the last few years now, we've spent a week at the beach with my wife's uh, family, and uh, we go down to the Fort Walton, Pensacola area, and we love the beach. Uh, my family, we're beach people, and so we're happy to go down to the beach. Each day, we spend the whole day uh, just sitting in chairs down in the sand and enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the water, and I like to go out in the ocean, and uh, we were down there again just a few weeks ago and, and spend a lot of time in the ocean, but, but if I'm Absolutely honest with you, um, the ocean gives me the heebie-jeebies just a little bit. You know, I mean, when you get in there and you can't see really what's going on, and you know that this isn't really your territory, and those things that were created for the water, like they can see fine. All right, and you're in their neighborhood, their territory now, and so you're kind of always wondering what's going on around you. And so whenever I go into the water, I'm thinking exit strategy. All right, I mean, if there's a situation, you know, if something brushes my leg, whatever it may be, how am I going to get out of the water as fast as possible? And there's stuff in there. And, you know, we, we, we stay in this high-rise, and on a really clear day, you can look from the balcony of the high-rise, and you can see what's in the water. I mean, you can see the dolphins. We've seen sharks, plenty of stingrays. Well, Luke and I, my eight-year-old son, we were out in the water. We were just playing catch, and there was pretty good distance between us, and we're throwing this ball across the water and having a good time. And Well, it didn't hit me right away, but I started to notice that there was a bit of a group of people that had kind of gathered on the shore. We're just kind of pointing and looking a little bit, and then it hit me that I bet they've seen something. Like, there's something in the water, and what do you know? They're kind of pointing near us, and before you know it, this shark swims right in between my son and I, this distance where we're catching. Now, this shark was probably about this big, maybe, and, uh, you know, again, I don't know how big they have to be uh, to get upset or angry, but we didn't panic, but immediately the exit strategy kicked in. It's just like, okay, well, you punch it in the nose, is that what they said? I mean, can you really kick in the water if I need to kick it in the water? And I'm not even thinking about how to get my son out of the water, it's just all me at this point of, okay, how, I mean, if, if he wanted to take a chunk out of my leg, if he wanted to nibble on my toes or something, I'm sure there would be nothing that would have prevented him from doing that, and I can only get out of the water uh, so, so quick, but, um, but give the Israelites credit, if you would, because they got one thing right. They had no chance on their own, right? I mean, they, they had no chance. I mean, this land was inhabited by the Anakites, and not only the Anakites, but we read about the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Parasites, and, and they were terribly outnumbered, and you know what? Here's the thing. Most of the time in your life and in my life, we're outnumbered too. And you and I, we're nothing on our own. And we've got an enemy, and our enemy threatens us. And just like the enemies here in Scripture that took on these various names, our enemy, well, he takes on he takes on names too, like names like struggling. When you just know things aren't right in this marriage, and uh, we've been here before, or we've never been here before, and I don't know if we're going to... If we're going to get through this, sometimes uh, the problems and challenges of life take on names like desperate, uh, like when you are so overwhelmed and so deep in debt that you have no idea how you could ever find your way through. Uh, Sometimes it's fearful. Uh, when the rumors of more cutbacks at work or you know that your company is changing. Maybe you started a company, and while you started it in faith and with trust, well, you're at a place right now, and you're not sure if you can continue in that faith and in that trust. Sometimes our enemy takes on the name terrified uh, when you know the test results are in, and maybe a doctor just says, I I need to see you right away, Uh, sometimes confused. When as a parent, you know that your teenager or your college student is in a really bad place. And sometimes it's hopeless. You know, as you wonder if, well, if things will ever work out for you. If you and your spouse will ever get pregnant. And whatever it is, and whatever place you're in, I mean, it's, when it's tough, it can be difficult to trust God. And some of you are in that place right now. And maybe you don't feel like you have anything to give. And you're not sure how you're going to get through. And you're out of hope. And You're out of strength, but there is someone who can and someone who is willing and and he is there for you and he is greater than all things and his strength is available. Uh, Solomon wrote it like this. He said in uh, Proverbs 18.10, he says, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower and the righteous run to it and find safety. Uh, The Apostle Paul writing from prison in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all this through Him, through Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. And, uh, and then writes again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, this same Apostle Paul, when he heard from Jesus, who said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power is. May rest on me. See, these promises remind us that he is there and that his strength is right and it's perfect, and it's just what you need. And I love the reminder of Paul in Second Corinthians, where he helps us see that God's power is perfect in our weakness. And he goes on to say that there, even, even as difficult as it is for us to understand that there's something special about God's power for our lives when we have nothing left to give. And Caleb, he was trusting in that strength. He was trusting in those promises. He knew the Israelites were powerless on their own, but that God's power and strength were perfect for the situation. And and the same is true for you. No matter what you're up against, no matter what comes up before you in your life, that God's strength is available and his strength and power will carry you through. It's perfect. And finally, uh, you can trust God's ways. You know, as Caleb did, you and I, we can trust God's ways. I mean, the Israelites didn't understand why God would put them in this situation. And they couldn't conceive how he would possibly give them victory. And again, there are going to be times in your life and in my life where we will find ourselves in situations and you're not going to understand and I'm not going to understand. And I've gone through these times and I've worked closely with people who have gone through things and I won't pretend to understand why. But there's a story And uh, just to tell it very briefly, uh, in Luke chapter 24, and you can look at this uh, on your own some other time, but... Um, We often refer to this story as the road to Emmaus story, and it's a great account of of the Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, but before word got out that Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus appeared uh, to a couple of men that were walking along this road on the way uh, to Emmaus, and the scriptures tell us that these men were walking and that they were talking about everything that had gone on over the last few days, the last week, talking about the trial, talking about the crucifixion, talking about the burial of this man who claimed to be the son of God. God and now he's dead. And if you read this story, Jesus came up to the two men, and for whatever reason, they didn't recognize him. And so, Jesus asked him, He just simply says, and Luke records, What are you talking about? And Luke records that they were obviously very sad, they were very discouraged. I mean, they went on to describe how they really believed that Jesus was the one and that he was going to change things for the people and that he was going to to save them, to give them victory over this oppressive Roman government. And notice their words and their reply to Jesus. Again, they didn't recognize him. And I just think they say so much about where they were and their faith and their even opinion of God at the moment. But maybe where some of you are right now. And in Luke 24, 21, he records, the people said, these two men said, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day now since all of this took place. See, they had their own personal preferences for Jesus, and he didn't fulfill their expectations and because of that, they somehow believed that Jesus had broken a promise. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted freedom and victory over Rome. And what's pretty clear for us now, and looking back, I see that Jesus had something greater in mind. He had something greater planned. I mean, these men, along with so many others had reje- uh, that, that rejected Jesus, wanted to be set free from Rome, when instead Jesus had in mind to set them free from hell. And to give them a reason to trust and to give them a reason to hope and salvation and a reason to live. And, you know, we have hope for so much. I'm guilty of hoping for so many things. And when it doesn't work out, it's natural to uh, be disappointed and discouraged and frustrated. But when we experience those frustrations or those disappointments, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't have something greater in mind for you and for your life. You see, with God, his ways are always greater than our ways. You know, because he is with us and his strength is available to us, you can trust him. The Lord is worthy of all of your trust and all of your faith. And not just in some things, but in all things. And again, he might not do what you hope that he will do in your life. But that's only because sometimes our hope is so small compared to what he ultimately wants to do in our lives and in this world. When the future is unknown and you don't know for certain, you know, what's going to happen or if it's going to work out and it's easy to stall and we want to give up. um, I want to encourage you to look to somebody like Caleb. I mean, we, we must trust, like Caleb, that God knows what he is doing and his ways are greater than our ways. Uh, look at this finally, Numbers 14, 24. Uh, this is the Lord now speaking about Caleb's faith. He says, the Lord says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Notice that the Lord says, you know what, there's something different about Caleb. And I just wonder what it would look like for people to say that same thing about your life. There's something different about her faith. Something different about his faith and his trust. Caleb trusted wholeheartedly and that's what God wants for you too. That's what he wants for my life and for your family and uh, for our church. That we will trust him wholeheartedly, put our faith in him, pray to him and turn to him for whatever we might need. So finally, um, the series that we've been in called Life Apps, again, is just the importance of not only reading Scripture, but applying it to our lives. That there's freedom, there's power in application. And um, I want to share with you just one last verse. It comes uh, right out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. One of my favorite verses, a verse that there's a really good chance you're familiar with. You've seen it on a poster, you've seen it maybe on a bumper sticker or something, but Solomon writes to us and he just simply says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, wholeheartedly. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Which means that little by little, one by one, he will remove all of the obstacles so that we can become everything that the Lord wants us to be. Here's my challenge for you today. Here's what I want to ask. Would you be willing to pray a prayer like this today? Would you be willing to just simply pray, God, today I trust you. I am renewing my faith in you. I am renewing my trust and my desire to trust you with all things, I am transferring this so-called trust that I've put in myself or in someone else or in a report or in the hopes that things will work out the way that I want them to. I am transferring that so-called trust to the only one who can be trusted. And I'm putting my trust in you today. But just pray a prayer, that simple. But a big one too. God, I trust you because you are faithful and you are good and you are for me and your strength is perfect in all things. Let's do that right now. Will you bow your heads with me? And and again, I just want to invite you wherever you are, whatever it is that's going on in your life right now, you may think that you're the only one that completely knows, but he knows, and he understands in even greater ways than we do. But what would it look like for you to cry out to him, to reach out to him today and say, God, I trust you. Even though I don't completely understand, I trust you. And that you take a moment to do that right now. God hear each prayer today uh, hear each cry out to you Lord and I pray that as we open up our hearts and as we turn to you and as we pray a prayer like that to say that we want to trust you God, God I pray that you would respond I pray that you would respond and you would give us the peace that passes all understanding that we would know the power of your presence in our lives and that you'll just give us the strength for today give us the strength to keep going and trusting you for all things because you are faithful and good, and we thank you. We thank you, Father, for making a way in Jesus. And and as we keep praying today, I know that maybe for some of you, you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and so your trust has been in anything else but God and the gift of his son, Jesus, who he sent to this world to die on the cross for my life and for your life, to offer you forgiveness, to offer you hope and life. And so maybe for you, your response today is, if you believe the Lord is working in your life and he's drawing you to himself in ways that maybe you really can't even describe, don't push back. Don't resist that. But maybe open your heart today and invite him to come in. You can pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. I am putting my trust and my faith in you today. God, we thank you for your work. We thank you for those who are responding to you even right now and as you're welcoming them in uh, to the family. God, I pray that they would know and see and understand that change for their life and desire to grow in it and to follow you with every bit of their lives. Lord, Lord, we're here to trust, and it's difficult sometimes, but I pray that as we open our hearts, God, that you would give us the faith to trust in you for all things, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.